Well, I've titled this sermon today, The King is Born. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because the King of all kings and the Lord of lords is born. It's interesting that there have been many others that have come long after Jesus that have claimed to be the king, and I just want to name a few of them. Some of you are going to get very excited in this moment, but there's one that comes to my mind who claimed to be the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. There he is. Um, Ladies, don't faint. Don't fall out right now. But uh, a reporter once called 21-year-old Elvis Presley the king of the nation's rock and roll scene. Another person claims to be the king. I don't know about this, but he's a great basketball player. I'll give him that. His name is LeBron James. Some may call him King James. He calls himself King James. He's the, yeah, I know we have mixed feelings in this place. He was the number one overall draft pick and has the largest rookie shoe deal ever signed. And so Nike Nike officially coined the term the king. But we know who the real king is. Let's show this next picture. There he is. There he is. Let's go. I just wish you got this excited about my preaching every week and about the Bible as you did for Kobe Bryant. You know, many will fight and argue over who the greatest of all time is. Is it LeBron James? Is it Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan? Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan? Uh, Okay, I don't know. There's another guy. Some of you don't know who this is. He's another sports figure. Some of you don't care. But he claims to be the king, and he goes by King Henry. Uh, He's a running back for the Tennessee Titans, and he's famous for this stiff arm. I mean, if you just see this guy, he will just run you over. I would, some guys run away from him. That would be me too. I just run away. Don't hit me. Two All-Pro honors, three Pro Bowl nods, a 2020 NFL Offensive Player of the Year award, not to mention Heisman Trophy and National Championship at Alabama. Roll Tide, are we, do we have any Alabama fans in here? I didn't think so. <laughs> he even sat, set the national high school record for rushing yards in 2012. They call him King Henry. Here's another king, self-proclaimed king, the king of pop. Michael Jackson, well, there really never has been anyone quite like Michael Jackson. I was going to do the moonwalk, but I don't want to cause anyone to stumble in this place. There's another king that, who claimed to be the king of the ring, Muhammad Ali, the greatest boxer to ever live. And he once said, I'm the greatest thing that ever lived. I'm the king of the world. I'm a bad man. I'm the prettiest thing that ever lived. Well, what an egotistical man that is, but he was the king of the boxing world. You know who else once said, I'm the king of the world? This one's for my wife, is Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) In the great movie, The Titanic, he said, I'm the king of the world. We got to take this picture down very quickly. There's another man, people called him King Herod the Great, he was a real man who lived in history. I read about him in the opening story of Christmas. They called him King Herod the Great. He was an actual earthly king over Judea when Jesus was born. And when he heard that Jesus was born and that Jesus was supposedly the king of the Jews, he felt threatened. And he asked the question, who is this king? Because there can only be one king. 
Matthew chapter two tells the story, I'll read it to you in the Bible. Some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this and was, as was everyone in Jerusalem, and he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler, a king, will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel." And you know today, people in these troubled times are still asking, where is he who is born the king? People are looking for hope, answers. They want the truth. The Bible tells us this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse eight. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was king yesterday, he's king today, and he still will be king tomorrow. Yesterday, he was king of redemption, which means he didn't restrain the multitudes when they cheered on Palm Sunday when he came riding in on the back of that donkey, and they were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. He didn't deny it when Pilate asked him, are you a king? In John chapter 18, verse 37, he didn't deny his kingship when Pilate turned him over to the angry mob to be whipped and beat and mocked and spit upon, saying, behold, your king. And from his very birth, Christ was recognized as king. In fact, he's the only king to be recognized king as a baby. He was named king of kings as an infant. The wise men brought gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, Shepherds fell down and worshiped him, and even the angels in heaven, knowing more than men, understood that he was truly king as they worshiped before his manger throne. But Jesus, of course, did not come to set up an earthly kingdom like what people thought he would. They wanted him to overrule the Roman government, but he had come to be the king of redemption. His kingdom was to be a spiritual kingdom, and he was to reign in the hearts and lives of men and women and little boys and little girls. In fact, Jesus came to be the king of your heart and the king of my heart. That's really why he came. But there's this age-old problem that says, you say it and I say it, I wanna be king. I wanna sit in the throne of my life. You said this before, maybe not out loud, but to yourself, don't tell me what to do. No one tells me what to do. Why are you yudging me? <laughs> Don't tell me how to live my life, pastor. Don't tell me how to live my life. It's that age-old rebellious cry of our free-thinking, ego-driven society. From soccer moms to CEOs, we all have what I'll call today throne issues. That's really what it is. We have throne issues. Who's gonna sit on the throne of my life? And you know, most people have no problem admitting that you have issues. In fact, we love to talk about our issues. I, in fact, I, I brought some toilet paper today because some of you need a tissue for your issues. How many of you have an issue that you're going through right now and you need a tissue? How many have an issue? There we go, there we go. Boom, oh, I missed you, okay. This stuff 
remember in COVID, you would go, Costco was sold out. This is gold right here, frankincense and myrrh. How many of you have an issue? Yeah, woo! Just trying to keep you awake this morning. You need a tissue for your issue. We love to talk about our issues. I have a marriage issue. I've got an anger issue. And I've got an issue with my temper. I've got an issue at work. I've got an issue with my kids. We love to talk about our issues, but there's one issue that every single one of us has, yet we don't really like to admit it. We have throne issues. Who's calling the shots of your life? Who's running the show? Who's saying walk this way? Who's saying jump this high? Who is sovereignly ruling over your life and mine? Who's calling the shots of your life financially and behaviorally? Who is sitting on the throne of your heart? And I wanna talk to you briefly today about a personality that we read about in the pages of the Bible, scripture. This guy had some serious throne issues. I'm gonna talk about the devil. Why are you talking about the devil on Christmas? Why can't, come on, Pastor Matt, just, let's just keep it about eight pounds, six ounce, newborn baby Jesus. Don't talk about the devil on Christmas. Well, the reason why we have to talk about the devil on Christmas is because that's why Jesus had to come. He stepped down from heaven to earth. He, he's God with skin on because of the throne issue. When I say the word devil, AKA Satan, Lucifer, star of the morning, the curious and the concerned start to lean in. And I think in a crowd this size, most would go, yeah, I believe in the devil. Some might even be more cynical and skeptical though, and you might say, well, maybe. But the evil in our world is due to a lack of education. That's why there's evil in our world. The evil in our world is due to a damaged chromosome. The evil, in all, the evil in our world is due to poverty. The evil in our world is due to racism or power plays or faulty governments. And of course, all those things obviously aren't good. But I wanna argue that there is a dark, sinister force wreaking havoc in our world today and his whole agenda is this throne. Satan has throne issues. The Bible says that Satan is a created being. God made him. He was in charge of the worship in the heavenlies. His, he was the worship leader in heaven. His whole being is created out of musical in, instruments, and he was made to reflect the glory back onto God. Lucifer was his heavenly name, star of the morning. But because he was a created being, he has what we have as well, freedom of choice. So what did the devil choose? He chose to rebel against God. He wanted to dethrone God and sit on the throne. And in Isaiah chapter six, it talks about how I will enthrone myself. I will wanna be like God. I will make myself like the most high, the devil said. And then of course, God will have no one equal to him. And so the devil was cast out of heaven and thrown to the earth. And Satan convinced one-third of the angels in heaven to revolt against God with him, but his plan failed. One-third of the angels we now call demons fell with him. Some of those immediately were slam-dunked into hell. The others are free to roam and mess us around. So that's pretty much his background and his portfolio. 
The devil is not equal to God. He's not all powerful. He's not omniscient. He can't be everywhere at all times. He's a created being. He's not omnipresent. In fact, his days are numbered. And we've read the final chapter in God's word. And so this is an encouraging message. The Bible says that we win. God is still on the throne. And Christians are victorious. So this isn't a sad doom and gloom message like, oh, the devil. No, we've, Jesus has already conquered death, hell, and the grave. All the pain and suffering we experience, though, here and now, it's temporary for believers. Those of us who are Christ followers, it's temporary. One day, we're going to spend eternity in God's presence in heaven. But since the devil's plan didn't work to try to take the throne in heaven, he's trying to accomplish through mankind what he didn't get done in heaven. He's trying to dethrone God and enthrone himself, so to speak, in your life and in mine. That's why you, get, you sense that struggle and the tension and the temptation in your life. If, if you've received Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit living within you and you want to please God. But the flesh, we all have that fleshly desire that is pulling us the opposite way away from God. And the throne of your life is your soul. The devil wants your soul. Our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions, according to biblical scripture. And the enemy knows that if he can sit on your throne, if he can win the battle for your soul, better yet, if he can get you and me to sovereignly sit on our throne to say, I'm the man, I'm the woman, I'm going to run my life, this is my show, we'll miss the purpose that God has for our life. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you are. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. The devil always uses the same tactics. Wouldn't you like to know the devil's tactics? Well, the Bible tells us his ground game and his game plan. Temptation number one is lust of the flesh. Temptation number two is lust of the eyes. Temptation number three is the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are his three little the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. What is the lust of the flesh? Well, it's everything that appeals to your appetite. We got to eat. We got to drink. I mean, those are things that God gave us to enjoy. I mean, I love good food. I love it. But the lust of the flesh is to overindulge and eat till you're just eating yourself to death, to become overindulgent, to become addicts and gluttons. That's lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes is the temptation where it's everything that appeals to your eyes. In this category of temptation, Satan uses external attraction, a desire for a house or a car or desire for someone else's wife or husband to produce the sin of covetousness and envy and jealousy and lustfulness. And the pride of life, of course, is everything that appeals to arrogance and pride. In this category of temptation, Satan uses your personal achievements to get you all puffed up, be like, I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm successful. Popularity, fame, academic success. I have doctor at the end of my name. PhD. The sin of self-sufficiency. I can do it on my own. God, I don't need you. I got this job, my job, my paycheck, mine. I'm the man, I'm the girl. Yeah, I sit on the throne. 
So the devil has been fighting God in the heavenlies. That didn't work. So he moves his battle from the heavenlies down to earth where he was cast down. And now he's fighting man. And so he tempts Adam and Eve in the garden in the book of Genesis where they were tempted and they ate of the one tree that God said not to. You can have all this, but this one thing, do not eat from. They disobeyed God. Satan, through the form of a serpent, tempted them and sowed a seed of doubt. Does God really love you? Did he really say? Can he really be trusted? And so Adam and Eve dethroned God, disobeyed, went against God's will, and they enthroned themselves on the throne of their life, of their soul. And sin entered the world. And then Satan began to sovereignly rule. And then the devil's, well, he's smart. He knows history better than any of us because, well, he's lived it since the beginning. So the devil thought, you know what? The Trinity, God, is just not gonna sit back and chill. He's not just gonna say, well, too bad, that didn't work out. I'm gonna do something else. I'm just, I'm just gonna nuke planet Earth. No, the devil knew God wouldn't do that. The devil knew that God is all about love and grace. How many of you are so grateful we serve a loving God, a grace-filled God? The Bible says his mercy is new every morning. His mercy is new every morning. God is all about forgiveness and reconciliation. And oh my gosh, let me tell you, you've heard it before, but let me tell you again, church, he loves you so much. I don't understand it. (laughs) I don't understand why he loves me. Oh, what a wretched man I am, but oh, what a loving God we serve. The devil knew that God was going to devise a brilliant plan. So God sent Jesus and his goal and his purpose was to live a righteous, perfect life, to spill his blood on the cross for the iniquities of mankind, rising again, just as he said he would, thereby giving us an opportunity to be reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. So the devil's like, well, I'm gonna fight that too. So Jesus was born of all places for a king to be born. He was not born in a palace, but in a manger. And the devil thought, I know, I'll get King Herod to exterminate all the male children to kill them two years and under in the vicinity of Bethlehem. Well, that didn't work because Jesus and his family escaped. Then Jesus grows up to be a man 30 years old. John the Baptist sees him coming and says, behold, you know the story? There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the devil's like, you gotta be kidding me. I thought I'd taken him out. So Jesus steps into the river and he was water baptized by John the Baptist. Of course, he didn't need to be baptized because he was sinless, but he was baptized because he wanted to identify with sinners. Water baptism is a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And Jesus was doing this as a foreshadowing of what was to come. He was being baptized to foreshadow to people that he is the son of God, the savior of the world, that he lived a perfect life, that he would die and be risen again. And so Jesus' baptism was a high point in his life because you have God the Father saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. If you read the Bible, you'll see this happen during the water baptism of Jesus. And you have Jesus coming up out of the water, then you have the Holy Spirit 
descending upon him in the form of a dove, obviously filling Jesus's life with power to go one-on-one with the devil in the desert. So you fast forward a little bit. Jesus was fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights because he was preparing himself to go to the cross. And the Bible tells us that he was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now they're about to duke it out. And they were gonna go toe-to-toe in a boxing match of scripture. Jesus is hungry. Well, you would be too after 40 days and 40 nights of not eating, fasting. And Satan tempts Jesus, "If, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Well, if Jesus were you and I, you'd be like, yeah, I'm hungry. And Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to a high point in the city on top of the temple. And the devil tempted him. He's a liar. He says, I'll give you all the nations. They weren't even his to give. For it is written, if you throw yourself down, come on, Jesus, let's see if you really are God. Throw yourself off this high point of the temple. If you are God, surely God will send angels from heaven to rescue you. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord God to the test. See, even the devil knows scripture. He knows it better than some of us. A third time, the devil tempted Jesus, showing him all the, again, the, 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 the nations of the world. And man, the devil knows scripture. That's why we've got to know it because he's a twister and a manipulator and a liar. The Bible says he's the father of lies. Jesus finally says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil fought God, the devil fought man. Now he's trying to fight Jesus and ultimately block Jesus from finishing the mission in which he came. He was born to die for sinners. That's why he came. You're the reason for the season. I'm the reason for the season. And Jesus, of course, is handed over now to the authorities proclaiming to be the Son of God and the Son of Man. Oh, Jesus makes this one statement that really makes a lot of people mad. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, that's so narrow-minded, Pastor Matt. That's why I can't follow Christianity. It's just so narrow-minded. That is the whole point. He's the only way. Broad is the road, wide is the road, and many follow it, but narrow is the road, and only few find it. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you follow him, you'll find life everlasting, fulfillment, and purpose. But when he said these things, he's saying what maybe some of you are saying right now, blasphemy. How can someone claim to be, this, claim to be God the only way King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, they said blasphemy, and so they crucified him on a criminal's cross, and he paid a sinner's death even though he had done no wrong. The devil got excited. I got him now. Jesus is dead. Jesus breathed his last breath, and he says, it is finished. What is finished? The penalty of sin. He paid for it all, for those who would receive him and confess that Jesus is Lord. But the devil said, it's game over. But on the third day, Jesus defeats death, hell, and the grave. This is the Easter message. He's alive, he's ruling and reigning, and he still sits on the throne. We serve a living God 
who is still on the throne. There is no one like him. No one compares to King Jesus. No one is like our God. He's awesome. And he loves you and me. And it's amazing what he did for us. But now the bottom line is the devil has a plan to take you out. Because if he can't be God, and if he can't experience eternity in heaven, he doesn't want you to either. So he mad. <laughs> and that's why you and I experience challenges and that's why we live in a broken world. It's a sin-filled world, it's a broken world. Bad things happen to good people and bad people. He wants you to miss your purpose in life. He has a plan to ruin your marriage and mine. He has a plan to ruin your witness. He has a plan to mess your relationships all up because he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to sprinkle doubt in your mind, keep you down and discouraged, tempt you with a lifestyle that culture said, oh, it's fine, everyone is doing it, but God says, I have better for you. I have better for you. My ways are higher, my thoughts are higher. The devil wants your soul. It's a battle for your soul. Because if he can't experience heaven, he doesn't want you to either. And what's so sly about the devil is it all has to do with the throne. He wants you to run your show. He wants you to call the shots. And when you do so and when I do so, we don't even really realize it, but we're running with the enemy. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written... Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Can you see that Satan couldn't get over this whole worship thing? He couldn't get over it. Couldn't get over the fact that God would get all the glory. He wanted the glory. I wanted to taste the glory. See what it tastes like. That's a Nacho Libre quote for all of you in the room. Very Christian movie. Oh, really? He wanted the worship. He's supposed to be the worship leader. He's supposed to be the one that is reflecting the glory back to God. And so really your life and mine, it's a battle for worship. Who are you gonna worship? Who are you worshiping this Christmas? Who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Who calls the shots? Is it you or is it God? I've just come with a very simple message this morning as we get ready to close in prayer. Can I encourage you this Christmas to let God be God? One of my favorite verses in the Psalms, it's not even gonna pop up, but it says, be still and know that he is God. Some of you are anxious, you're worried about all kinds of things. You got a million things running through your mind right now, like what's gonna happen right after church? Just be still for just one moment and know that he is God. You are not, I'm not. Let God be God. Wow, that's a, that's a load off. He's got the whole world in his hands. He knows you inside and out. He made you, he created you. And I wanna encourage many of you today who have not surrendered to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to today. Surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He knows what's best for you and he wants what's best for your life. Put Jesus in his rightful place as King of your soul. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, it says, for unto us, a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. 
Somebody here today needs to know that he's a mighty God. He's mighty. He's strong. There's no one like him. Somebody needs to know that he's an everlasting father. He's a good, good father. Somebody needs to walk out of here today knowing that he is your prince of peace, that no matter what chaos is going on in your life, the prince of peace can rule and reign. His name is Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, all of hell trembles. All the demons in hell, their knees are shaking and buckling. Sin could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. The world cannot stop him. So whatever you need, whatever you ask, whatever is going on in your life, he is more than enough. He's your way maker. He is an open door. He is your healer. He is your forgiver. His grace is more than enough. He's your provider. He is your hope. Wow, he's wonderful. He's wonderful. He's a great counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and He is your Prince of Peace, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. And the Bible says that anyone who would confess with our mouth that the Lord Jesus is Christ and believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. And maybe you weren't even expecting it or anticipating it, but I believe there are some folks here today that it's a divine appointment, you're in church, what a better place to receive Christ and to get your butt off the throne of your life and to allow Jesus Christ to sit where he belongs. The king of your heart, that's why he came. And if you would, stand your feet all across this place. I wanna pray a prayer for some of you to receive Christ and to make him Lord of, of your life and king of your heart. You may be here today and you, you're saying, I believe in Christ. I believe in Christ. That's why I'm here. But you've never made him king of your heart. And there's a difference. You can say you believe in God, but you have not made him king of your heart. You're still calling the shots. He does not have complete control of your life. Thousands of people are attending church today, probably, that have never surrendered their will to him as king. You may believe in God and the church and even in Christ, but you have not surrendered your will to him. And I wanna invite you to do that right now. He promises to live in you and transform your life. You can have a new life, a new beginning if you will surrender to Christ Jesus. And you just start by simply talking to God. It's called prayer. You can pray a prayer like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I wanna turn away from my sin, which that's what repentance really is, where you turn away and you go towards God. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sin and you raised him to life. I want him to come into my heart and take control of my life. I wanna trust Jesus as my savior and follow him as my Lord from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. And if that was your prayer right now for the first time, I wanna invite you this morning to be bold because no one knew that you prayed that prayer. And so this will be your acknowledgement that you prayed that prayer. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you in heaven. But if you disown me before men, I will disown you. Wow. <laughs> so this is a pretty bold moment to say, I'm receiving Christ as my Lord and Savior. And if that's you today, I want you to come forward and I'm gonna light the candle that you have on your seat. 
as a sign and as a symbol that Jesus, the light of the world, is lighting up your life today. And if you've received Christ this year in 2023, I wanna invite you to come forward as well as we get ready to close in the singing of Silent Night and we celebrate all of those who have given their hearts to the Lord. Come forward if you prayed that prayer right now. We wanna celebrate you today. This is not to embarrass you. It's to celebrate what God is doing in your life. the candles of those that are around you we're going to sing this one more time with all of our heart and i'm so grateful for those of you who have come forward and have given your heart to the lord this morning it's a new day and uh it's the greatest life you'll ever live to follow jesus with your whole heart it's not an easy life to be a christian there will be many challenges but god is with you emmanuel god is with us What a beautiful day it is. I'm just gonna pray one more time before we see this. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for those souls that have given their hearts to you today, who have confessed their need for a savior, that we are sinners and we need you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Jesus, thank you for coming, for enduring the cross, for raising to life again. I thank you, God, that you're alive that you're living, that you live inside of me. And wherever I go, your spirit is with me. Change me from the inside out. Use me, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. been in God's house. I want to encourage you to come back next Sunday if you don't have a church. I hope this you would make this your church. We want to help you grow 
in your relationship with the Lord. And uh, the greatest days are still in front of you. The best is yet to come. And before we burn the church down, we're going to say, happy birthday, Jesus, on the count of three, because that's, that's what we're celebrating. And then blow these suckers out, and then you are dismissed. On the count of three. One, two, three. Happy birthday, Jesus. Awesome. God bless you all. Have a great rest of your day. Merry Christmas.